Hello and welcome to Tommy Talks, the weekly podcast bringing you inside St. Thomas Athletics, where we'll get to know those who wear the purple and gray. We start season two by chatting with Vice President and Director of Athletics, Dr. Phil Esten. He takes a look back at year one of the move to D1, a look ahead at year two and where they stand with trying to expand their athletic facilities, and we get to know them on a more personal level. You can subscribe to Tommy Talks wherever you get your podcasts, and if you love it, please give us a five-star rating. Now, here's our conversation with Phil Esten on another edition of Tommy Talks. So let's take a look back at last year, Phil, because what a year it was, right? You, you make the transition from Division Three to Division One, and you have obviously had some Division One experience in your career as an administrator. Mm-hmm. But you're taking a whole university that's used to Division Three. I, I would imagine when you look back, there's a ton that you're really proud of from last season. Yeah, you know, I think as much as anything, I'm proud of the way that our student athletes represented us as we competed in 28 states across the country um, in all of the different time zones on networks um, that really covered us internationally. And, And so when you look at the way that our student athletes competed, the way that they dealt, you know, humbly with with winning and also dealt with losing, you know, at at certain times, it made me proud. Um, And so as much as anything, when we looked at a barometer of success last year, it wasn't going to be conference standings and win-loss columns. We knew going into it that we've got, it's a little bit of a journey for us. And so it was how we build a culture, how we start the process and the foundational elements for future sustained success. And really then what that boils down to is how much pride do we feel in what we see in the competitive venues, what we see in the classroom, what we see representing St. Thomas in the community. Um, and I, I walked away from last year with, with a lot of pride because of the way our student athletes and our coaches and our staff stepped up and re- represented their programs, our athletic department, the university, and our alumni. One thing that I heard from every coach that I talked to last year is they, they said, uh, Phil wants us to do this the right way. And we appreciate that, and that's great. Um, but with all of the success that everybody had had prior to that, were there ever times where people were like, oh, "It's hard being patient." Yeah, well, and there, and it is hard being patient. And, yeah. and I think they also all understand that I'm as competitive as anybody. You know, it's not as fun to lose as it is to win, right. and they keep score for a reason, and all of the other cliches and adages that that you use. But you know, we do compete ultimately to end up on the winning end of that of that competition. There are lessons to be learned along the way. There's lessons to be learned in the process. But ultimately, I think everybody here wants to get to a place where, and we talk about this a lot, in the MIAC, I think most of our teams entered every single season with a reasonable expectation that they were going to compete for, if not win, a conference championship. And at the Division three level, if we won the MIAC in any particular sport, it meant we probably were going to be pretty competitive nationally as well. And I firmly believe I'm bullish on the fact that I think we can get to that same space in the Summit League over time. It will take us some time. Mm -hmm. But if we don't build it right on the front end and build those foundational elements uh, and principles for sustained success later, we won't get there. But I I feel very strongly that we can enter at some point every season with the reasonable expectation that we're going to compete for a conference championship. We can't get there if we take shortcuts in a sustainable way. So we talk a lot about leaning into the process. We talk a lot about building culture. We talk a lot about the talent character equation and 
what that matrix looks like as we're recruiting staff, culture, student athletes, et cetera. And, and again, I was, I was really proud by and large in the way that, that our coaches thought about that and executed on that in, in the first year. What was the impact of the move on the rest of the university, on the staff and the students? Did it, did it invigorate everybody? Well, you know, I think you saw it. You saw it personally with some of our student football attendance. You yeah. know, it, it was the largest it's ever been but for a Tommy Johnny game. And, you know, when you're putting 2,000 students into the football stadium on a regular basis, that adds energy mm-hmm. and it builds affinity it allows students to build relationships in a different way. The social aspect of what we do in a residential campus is really important. And as we've added a two-year residency requirement uh, on campus and we continue to invest in what we think is a really meaningful residential experience for all of our students, students at large, athletics plays a big role in that. Again, when you see students um, proudly wearing their purple and you see students wearing a jersey and you see students coming to campus and you see faculty talking to students about student athletes about their experiences on the weekend that adds to community and so I, I'd say the biggest thing that that I took away from that first year was athletics the impact that athletics can have on the building of community um, <clears throat> and and Corbu that's something we needed to keep at the at the front of our minds as we continue to progress here it, it isn't just a one-year thing that is something that has to be in the DNA and the fabric that we weave every single year as we continue to, to transition. Yeah, you do have a lot of facilities, almost all of the facilities on campus now, uh, but you're still working on finding a spot for some new sports facilities. Can you give us an update on how that's going? Yeah, you know, one, one of the facilities that we've said very publicly we need to look at um, is our, our ice hockey facility. And, mm-hmm. and St. Thomas Academy has been a wonderful partner for us for the better part of 20 years. And um, it, it's a good facility for us. As we grow our hockey programs, though, we have expectations that interest in those programs are, is going to grow. We'll need to accommodate more attendance. Uh, we'll need to provide student-athlete amenities that are different than what we, we can provide there. And we'll need to provide fan amenities that are different than what we can provide there, ultimately, to, to make that a, an engaging experience. And so hockey is, is something that we've been um, – pretty public about about looking at first and, and we had looked pretty carefully at Highland Bridge the former Fort Plant just down the street yeah. and, um, and the development is really dynamic if, if you haven't driven through that development lately the the roads are open and there's buildings just popping up and it's a it's going to be a really cool mix of residential commercial retail business space and so again a really dynamic development but as we continue to look at the complexities of a hockey arena there and the cost of a hockey arena there um, we ultimately had to pivot and so right now we're in the process of looking for the best spot for us from from a hockey facility we want to stay in the city of St. Paul Uh, we'd like to be as close to campus as we can be Um, you know that student athlete experience part of it is practice and uh, classroom opportunities and social opportunities and and the less time they have to spend commuting the more time they can spend doing those things that are so core to their comprehensive academic experience and so as close to campus as possible is, is really important and then we are continuing to assess whether or not Highland Bridge is um, and, we, and we think it could be the right space for us for baseball softball mm-hmm. and um, that would allow us to again build facilities that are um, more than adequate that are f- you know, really good competitive Division One facilities, and then it frees up some space on our campus to do some other things 
athletically that, that we think we need to do. So, you know, right now we're spending time really looking for the right spot for, for hockey um, and still kind of test testing out whether or not baseball softball makes sense down at Highland Bridge. And so far it has. And, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and those are, those are two facilities that I think are, are kind of um, key triggers to allowing some of the other facility needs down the road to, to be unlocked. Sure. To, so to go back to what you were saying before, those are kind of the foundations then that you could build everything off. I, I, you know, I think so. I, I think it helps to trigger some of the other things that we could do. Again, if we wanted to do something where baseball is now or where softball is now, we can't do it until baseball or softball is built. And, um, you know, really for us to invest in the brand extension that we've talked so much about mm-hmm. um, for us to generate the kind of revenue that we think we need to generate so we can reinvest it back in the student athlete experience that hockey facility plays a key part in that. So these are some of those, again, I'll call it a trigger, triggers that allow us to really sequentially um, look at what, what might be what might be next. Yeah. So it is year two of the transition, and now that everyone has been through it once, how does that help? Well, it, there's the obvious in that. I know what hotel to stay in, and I yeah. know what the directions are to get to this particular place, and, you know, what restaurants to go to and not go to, and... Um, I think as much as anything, there there was just, I hate, you don't really want to call it anxiety, but a level of angst and just the unknown. You know, we were in the Mayak forever. Right. And we knew what restaurant we were going to eat at post-game when we went to Northfield. And we knew what locker room looked like when we went to St. John's and et cetera, et cetera. And so this was the year of kind of piloting and testing the markets in the conferences, so to speak, the four conferences in which we compete. And so now we're heading into year two knowing what was unknown a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was unknown a year ago, frankly, was how were we going to fare? And I think a lot of people questioned, do we belong? Yeah. Um, and not just internally. I think a lot of people externally questioned whether or not we belonged. And and throughout the course of the year, Corbu, we were as competitive, if not more so, I think, than a lot of people thought we'd be. That didn't always translate to winning. Right. Um, but we were we were really competitive, and so yes, we proved that we belong on the Division One competitive venues. And now we the unknowns have been kind of eliminated in that we know the pace of play. Yeah, we know kind of the logistics and operational challenges and opportunities when we travel to our different conference counterparts. Um, we know what officiating looks like at that level, right? There, are, there are all of the different things that you know, going into a new space are kind of, are kind of unknowns. And so you eliminate that and it allows coaching staffs and operational staffs and student athletes to focus more on preparing for a game, to focus more on preparing for the seasons, to focus more on training, on recovery, on whatever it is that we need to do in order to become more competitive. Sure. Um, so I think that's what year two brings, you know, do, do I think, um, you know, and, and I'm very honest with, with our coaches about this. Do, do I think we're going to now go win conference championships in every sport? I, I wish I could say I think we will. I, I don't. I think you're going to see a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. It may We're going to be more competitive than we were a year ago. It may or may not translate to more wins, uh, but it's the next step. And let's focus on that process, and the outcomes will take care of themselves. 
it, it seemed like in the feedback I got from people traveling around with the basketball team and with the football team, everybody said the same thing. Wow, what you guys are trying to do is pretty amazing. And also, wow, you guys are really doing well mm-hmm. at this. I mean, especially with basketball, there was maybe two games out of the 30 on the men's side where they weren't competitive. Mm-hmm. Football goes 7-3. and three. Um, You had uh, some great finishes, especially from like the cross-country teams. There's a lot of outstanding performances last year. There were, and you know, I think that's there were a lot of Division three schools watching and mm-hmm. wondering how how do some of the best at the Division three level compete in the so-called non-power five or mid-major level at, at Division one. And and again, I think we proved that we can compete. A lot of the student athletes that decided to come to St. Thomas had other opportunities. Many of them had Division one opportunities, and for whatever reason, they chose St. Thomas. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think it's because the points of difference at St. Thomas <laughs> lead to that decision. Um, the academic experience, the, you know, the postgraduate experience, the residential experience, the athletic experience that we can provide, albeit at that time at Division Three. So we had a lot of student-athletes that, that belonged there to begin with and had made a decision to come to St. Thomas for other reasons. And so when you put all those things together, you know, you talk about basketball, the starting five last year was the same starting five it was the year before. Right. And man, how proud are we all? I'm a former division three athlete. Yeah. Uh, how proud are we all to know that that can translate, uh, to, uh, to other levels. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, I, I say a lot, we've got a proud past and a really bright future. And so last year was what last year was, and we're excited about year two here. So there's been some talk about the NCAA shortening the time a school can't go to the postseason while the transition uh, happens from one level to the next level. Any updates on that? And what would that mean for a St. Thomas, which is jumping up two levels, so right. it's a little different anyway? Yeah, you know, historically, a long, long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, the Division two to Division one transition was a five-year transition. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point in the last 15 years, they reduced that to a four-year transition. As we were getting into this transitional reclassification conversation they you know the NCAA and the um, the strategic vision and planning committee and ultimately the division one council decided that as St. Thomas was moving jumping division two and moving three to one there should be an additional year so we've got a five-year provisional period while two to one transitioning schools have a four-year provisional period and so there have been a couple of schools lately who've had success in their transition who've won conference championships and haven't been able to advance to the NCAA championships submit waivers to, um, for the council to consider waiving that last year or two or whatever. So far, the council has has not supported those, um, regardless of what the case has been. And the feedback, understandably, you know, there is a reason that's in place for one. And <clears throat> I understand some period of that. One of is to ensure that we have the compliance structures and the regulatory environment and the academic support that we need and, and financial support in order to be adequately competitive mm-hmm. and adequately resourced at the division one level. So we're not taking shortcuts. So we're not cutting corners. So we're not, we don't have a team that we think can compete and we go in and play for a year and then move back to division two. Right. So I think some of that in place makes some sense. Um, the NCAA though has said, let's take a look at that from a legislative perspective, which is really what they did with us. And so they gave us a waiver initially, but then throughout the course of the year after that, they legislated the opportunity for schools to move directly from three to one. Now, nobody's done it since then, um, but now that's part of legislation. And and so I think what they're doing as this trans- transitional commi- transformational committee is taking a look at 
all of Division One athletics and the new constitution and new governance models and how we deregulate and control. Where does this provisional period fit in that broader landscape? And do we need legislation in order to address uh, what some of these schools are, are asking to be addressed through waiver? So do you think that there's a good chance that it'll be less than five years or are you just banking on five years right now? You know, right now we're planning for five years. Yeah. And, and you know, as we put our, our phase plan in place, um, whether that's phase scholarships or phase staffing or operational support, whatever, we're, we're doing that um, with an eye on five years. And if, you know, over the course of the next year or two, it's reduced, um, that, that'll, be, that'll be a bonus. You know, and I contend... That, that a St. Thomas in the Summit League who can pursue a conference championship has more value to add to the league than a St. Thomas in the Summit League that cannot pursue a conference championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think there is support for that more broadly than just inside the walls of the University of St. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Fenton and I have talked about that a little bit and what that looks like nationally on a national landscape and you know how do we be patient um, really watch the national landscape unfold, maybe take cues from some other schools that are going through this a year or two ahead of us, um, and then just be smart and strategic. Uh, and so right now we're planning for the five, hoping that potentially it, it changes over time. Um, so that's all of the uh, business side of Philesta. <laughs> that's uh, that's look, all we got. Huh? That's, we want, <laughs> I want to know a little bit more about Phil because we've, we've talked a lot. Uh, we knew each other back in the Minnesota days. Well, I knew who you were <laughs> uh, back in the Minnesota days, um, and we've chatted be- before every football game. But uh, you said you played uh, – you were a Division three athlete here. You were a baseball player, right? Baseball. Mm-hmm. Outfield, infield? I caught you were a catcher. Yeah, I caught, and um, you know, little little known fact, I spent my sophomore year throwing the javelin on the track team. Really? Um, yep. So I'm a um, two sport letter winner. Nice. At the University of St. Thomas. Yeah. Um, played for Steve Schmidt for three years and Dennis Denning for one year, and um, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, I you know I wouldn't change it, have changed it for anything. It was it was, and I, I, some of my best friends are you know the guys that I played baseball yeah. with in, in those in the early nineties. So you're proving that just because you're a catcher, those aren't the tools of ignorance. <laughs> not proving yet. it. I'm not proving that. No. <laughs> I'm a testament to it. <laughs> Catching was the best when I when I played. I loved it because you had the field in front of you. You're involved in every, every pitch. Play, yeah. You're controlling. It. And back then, you got to probably call the game. You didn't have to look over at the coach every time yeah, to get well, the pitch. And now they've got a earpiece. And yeah. you know, this last year they they added an earpiece too, so Coach Aline can call the pitch through a little microphone. And yeah, um, no, you're you're right. You're you know I I enjoyed it because you were every single pitch you were part of the action mm-hmm. and you had a sense for what was happening. You had to on the entire field and um you know not to say that there was banter friendly or not with with the hitter or the right. umpire, but that may have been part of <laughs> part of it too. Um, and you know, we St. Thomas was competitive then as well. You know, um, not as much as we are today or had been the last couple of years. But it was um, again, I, I think a testament to how important the the impact the impact is on student athletes, regardless of winning and losing. You know, we mm-hmm. finished in the top four every year, and and I think we won the conference championship even my senior year. But um, regardless of of the finish, the impact, the friendships, the lessons you learn are there, uh, and and that's why I got into into this business yeah um, were you a take the mask off and turn the helmet around kind of guy yeah back then they didn't have the fancy hockey mask that no. they do today and so um yeah it was old school you know in fact um i might have been the first year we were even wearing helmets i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> just picturing you with one of those big pillow catcher yeah. gloves. Yeah. No, You're not uh, no. that old. No, no, no. We had, you know, the skull cap that you just kind of turn around and, yeah. and wear it in the other direction. And it was, um, you know, the field was where it was today. Center field was still a mile away from home plate. Yeah. Um, and so, again, really great experience. Yeah. Um, what else do you do for fun now? Well, you know, I've got three kids, and so our lives pretty much outside of work revolve around their activities. And, um, you know, they're all really busy in their activities, and it's fun to watch them get involved as parents who are listening know in in their own things. Our oldest is a sophomore uh, at, at Two Rivers High School uh, in, in Mendota Heights, um, runs cross-country and track, mountain bikes, um, a Boy Scout. In fact, I took him to the Florida Keys last March uh, for a week uh, to a, to a – an experience, high adventure experience called Sea Base, and that was that was a lot of fun. We spent a week at sea, drove, and then ultimately had to drive home. That's another story. <laughs> um, our, you know, our middle son plays a lot of baseball, plays a little basketball. He's in scouts as well, and then our daughter dances. She's going to play volleyball this. Uh, she'll be in sixth grade yeah. volleyball um, this fall for the first time. So yeah, sophomore, eighth grader, sixth grader. So we're, you know, Corbin, when you ask what we do for fun, it revolves largely around. Um, around our kids, I you know I enjoy golfing a little bit. Um, you know you get you get to my age, and it's something that you still feel you can compete, even if it's only with yourself. Right. And, um, and as much as anything, you know I enjoy golfing with friends, and I enjoy golfing by myself because it's an opportunity to unplug uh, yeah. a little bit. Um, and then you know Danny and I, we spent a couple years in the Bay Area, and so I you know I'd say that we became wine educated. Mm-hmm. certainly not wine snobs um <laughs> and so we we enjoy you know spending time with each other with a glass of wine at night um yeah. so yeah that, i mean it's not real exciting man it's it's uh it's it's probably what a lot of people in my phase of life are doing right now yeah so you could tell me about like what is it the aroma legs i don't know much about wine yeah you know i mean certainly wouldn't say that we're even close to sommelier status right but, i don't um, even know what that word yeah means, well, I, <laughs> I don't either I don't know how to spell it. um but yeah it, it's um and we and we both have our own varietals that we like better than others and and uh but i think probably as much as anything it's just finding an hour at the end of the day to catch up and yeah. spend time with each other. That connection. Yeah. 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 Uh, lots of time to connect on a drive back from Florida too. Well, you know, so that we, we showed up at the airport. There were 16 of us in this trip. So it was my son and I and 14 other scouts and their parents. And that was at that period of time in the spring when there were a bunch of storms heading through Florida. And so our flight was canceled on a Saturday. Couldn't get out until Wednesday. Oh, so the 16 of us kept the three minivans we had and drove through the night. Um, <laughs> drove, drove, we, you know, a lot of Culver's and McDonald's and yeah. Dairy Queen and Starbucks. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, that was the secondary adventure of the adventure right. week. Yeah. And they're all incoming sophomores. They're not all, they're not, they weren't all incoming sophomores, but it, yeah. it ranged from, I think, rising eighth graders to rising sophomores. Yeah. 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 God bless you it was, for making it through that trip. It was fun. I, you know, it was, a, it was a great trip. We, yeah. you know, spent a day snorkeling and spent a day fishing and spent a day sailing and spent a night on an uninhabited island. And so it yeah. was it was good connecting with, with my son, and it was really neat watching him engage with the other guys on the trip. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the best part, isn't it? Uh, I think about parenthood is watching your children grow and see them and seeing them grow and becoming whoever they're going to be. Yeah, you know, and it's fun. Yeah, watching them with their with their buddies and their friends and et cetera. Yeah. This summer, we took our um, our middle son played a little bit of baseball, and they played in the Battle of Omaha. And so, 
spent, I think, four days in Omaha playing Little League Baseball by day and going to the College World Series by night, which was a lot of fun. And yeah. those that watched the College World Series this year, it was super exciting. Ole Miss, the last team in the tournament, wins the entire World Series, which is kind of a kind of a feat in and of itself. So it, it those kind of experiences are the things that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. They might not remember if they won or lost a game or if they got a hit or not. They might. Right. Um, but as much as anything, it's the overall experience. Um, when you do have the downtime, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of it. Uh, but when you do, do you have? A, do you like to read, or is there a like, TV show that you like to get lost in? Yeah, you know, again, Danny and I, um, if we can at the end of the night, typically we'll put the TV on, and, and so we're big Yellowstone fans. Okay. Um, 1883, the prequel to Yellowstone, I'd highly recommend for those that haven't seen it. It's Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, um, and it's kind of how the Dalton family moved west from from Texas along the Oregon Trail and and settled ultimately in, in Montana. Um, yeah, so so we're waiting for season whatever it is, five or six or 15 or whatever to come out <laughs> this fall. And, um, you know, I'll say we just started uh, Madam Secretary at, at the advice of um, one of my colleagues, and, and uh, you know, she thought that we might like it. And so we're we're just kind of getting into Madam Secretary with Taylor Leone. And yeah. um, it's a it's a – you know, it's it's a good show. Yeah, I haven't watched either one of those, but I've heard great things about Yellowstone. Yeah, Yellowstone's fan- the cinematography itself is unbelievable, and then you know, of course, John Dutton is is played by um, Kevin Costner. Yeah, and he just, I mean, the the cast is really well cast in that in that show. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you look at Kevin Costner, can you see anybody but? the bull durham guy <laughs> or the field of dreams guy the field of dreams <laughs> yeah, guy. Right, or yeah. he was even in the uh for love of the game did yeah. you ever see that one yeah i did that yeah, was a good yeah, one too yeah. no he i mean he's he he's a great actor yeah. yeah do you have a favorite baseball movie were you a baseball junkie growing up well the sandlot has to be the best baseball movie so good ever um, yeah. and it's one of those that transcends generations i mean any of us can watch it i can't say the sandlot two or three were as good as sandlot one <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I'd say from, from my generation, the natural was awesome. Yeah. You know, that Robert Redford was amazing in that movie and, you know, you kind of forget about, but it was, it's an, it's just a great story and the acting was great, but I'd say probably the number one baseball movie for me is, is the Sandlot. Yeah. So good. Everybody, yeah. I wished I would have had that summer, every yeah. summer. Yeah. Yeah. So good. You didn't? I did. Last summer. <laughs> that's the difference, I guess, <laughs> yeah. between me and you. That's yeah. why I'm in broadcasting, and that's why you're yeah, an athletics director. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Phil, always great chatting with you. Appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting with you throughout the football season. Thanks, Corbu. Appreciate everything you do. 